Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. This morning's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I dearly love. In you, I find happiness. At once the spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying, Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. All right, friends. Well, it is the first Sunday of Lent. And the story that Morgan just read, the baptism of Jesus, you might be sitting here going, I feel like I've heard this before, and uh, indeed we have. This was actually the lectionary passage from just a few weeks ago. We're going to see that happen throughout the season of Lent. There are some repeats, some uh, best hits that keep coming up in the lectionary. In fact, in four weeks, we will hear uh, a repeating pattern of the voice that speaks over Jesus, both at the transfiguration and at the baptism. Uh, and so we have heard that before, but it's important that we start here. It's important we start our season of Lent here, because today I'm going to invite us as a parish community on a journey, a journey into our hidden hearts, a journey into what's happening beneath the surface of our lives. And that journey flows from belovedness. It is essential that the most core bedrock truth that we live our lives out of is the voice that speaks over us and calls us the beloved. And we talked about that just a handful of weeks ago, that your life is worthy of God's affirmation, that there is a soaking in the goodness of God that you are invited to. There is a time, even in the midst of Lent, to refill, to restore, to replenish to breathe in fresh hope. Why? Because belovedness has a way of leading us to wilderness. In fact, one of the things that the story we read today that Morgan just uh, shared with us, one of the things that it teaches us is that belovedness is actually the context in which wilderness makes sense. When we are in the wilderness from a deep-seated place of our belovedness, the wilderness takes on new meaning. It takes on new purpose. And so Jesus heads into the wilderness, and it's where you and I are invited as well. The wilderness of preparation, the wilderness of penitence, the wilderness of fasting, detachment, surrender, letting go. It's all those things we talked about last week in Transfiguration Sunday. Jesus reaches the mountaintop of acclaim, but rather than stay there, he begins the downward descent knowing that it is a death that awaits him at the bottom of the mountain. 
He begins the journey to Jerusalem, knowing what is below. And Lent too, then, is a journey down the mountaintops of transformation, the high points of life. And we follow the Jesus who says, not only do I take up the cross for you, but I invite you to take up your cross as well and follow me. Walk downward with me. Okay, so I grew up in a tradition that did not observe Lent. I had no idea what Lent was. Uh, I think it was one of those things where I thought maybe this has something to do with fish and Catholicism, and that was the full extent of my understanding of Lent. And yet I was heavily involved in church, but it was a church tradition that had sort of let Lent fall down by the wayside. And so if I were channeling me from 20 years ago, I would be saying, why on earth are we talking about themes of death, suffering, dying, wilderness? And why are we singing songs like what David just sang, lead us back? I mean, if you look at the lyrics of that song, there's some heavy stuff in that song. Like, why are we doing that on a, on a morning of worship? And it's because lex orandi, lex credendi, which is what our Anglican fathers and mothers would tell us is a law of the faith. And what it means is the law of praying is the law of believing. How we pray, how we worship, shapes the very belief structures that end up becoming so real to us. And so we need prayer and worship structures that are as vast, that are as broad as life is. Because otherwise we will find that our worship has left us unprepared for parts of the journey that you and I must Go on, And so what the Christian calendar does, the reason we follow seasons of Advent, seasons of Epiphany, seasons of Lent, looking ahead to Palm Sunday and Easter, the Christian calendar allows Jesus to meet us in the full range of human experience so that we understand that God comes to us in ordinary times. He comes to us in the Palm Sundays of life, the Pentecost of life, the Passion of life. And in the midst of all of the high mountaintops and low valleys, we find that we are headed somewhere, and we are coming from somewhere, and we're taking that journey together as a community, and that's what the Christian calendar allows us to do. Francis Lehman puts it this way. He says that how churches celebrate Easter parallels their understanding of the Christian journey. And so in my church tradition, we celebrated Easter with no build-up to it. One day we just walk into church and all of a sudden it was supposed to be a more important day than the days that had come before and we talked that Jesus had risen from the dead, but there was no lead up to it at all. And when we build a faith that has room for Easter, but does not have room for Lent, we should not be surprised that we find ourselves unprepared for some of what life brings us. We should not be surprised that the church struggles to find its footing as servants in the middle of a pandemic because we've built a faith tradition that has room for resurrection, but no room for suffering. And so the Christian calendar becomes a necessary corrective to lead us into the full story. It also helps us really prepare for Easter. It shows us why Easter matters. When I was a kid, it was like, what's all this hype really about? But it is only after the fast that the first smell of the feast in your nose brings you back to life again. It is only after the wilderness that the homecoming makes your heart sing. It is only after the dying that a fresh cry arises to be born again. And after Ash Wednesday, after 40 days, after Monday Thursday, after Good Friday, after Holy Saturday, Easter morning comes to us like the first day of a whole new week of a whole new world. 
Rob Bell puts it this way, and this will come up on the screen, says that we celebrate Lent for many reasons. Chief among them is the simple truth that Sunday comes after Friday. And only after you've gotten through, not around, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, are you ready to throw the only kind of resurrection party worthy of the occasion? That Sunday when we run huffing and puffing to the open tomb, beating our pots and pans in the clanging, raucous outburst that begins with those, th those three resounding words, He is risen. And so for 40 days, we hold tight to our belovedness as we brave the wilderness. And we do this not to be sanctimonious, not to be gravely serious, not to be holier than thou, but because the dying path is the heart of the Christian journey and a deathless faith is not worthy of Easter morning. And so we embrace the cross as we move into Jerusalem, trusting that yes, there is suffering, there is downward mobility, there is death, but those will not have the final word. As we take this part of our journey, David's going to lead us into another song. Still my soul, Lord, 
Those who put their strength in you are truly happy. Pilgrimage is in their hearts. As they pass through the back of valley, they make it a spring of water. Yes, the early rain covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength until they see the supreme God in Zion. Amen. All right, so we travel on that downward road from the mountaintop to Jerusalem. And it's the journey of Lent that you and I are invited on. We're traveling to Jerusalem, which was also known as Zion. It's the promised place. It's the place God dwells. And the psalm David just read us is a psalm of pilgrimage. In fact, it says that pilgrimage is in their hearts, or they have set their hearts on the pilgrim's way, it says in another translation. And so what we take from that is that the dominant perspective of life, of those who are following on this way, is they see themselves as pilgrims. They see themselves as on a journey for a purpose. There is a difference between a pilgrim and a tourist. A tourist can see the sights, but they want the comfort, they want the shelter, they want the guided tour. The pilgrim is the one who is following along, living in a tent, not a tabernacle, and sometimes recognizes that there isn't even time to put up the tents on the mountaintop before it's time to keep on going down. And so Jesus is on the move. And as Jesus is on the move, we as his pilgrim followers follow him. And it leads us through the Baca Valley, which was a valley on the way to Jerusalem that was a weeping place, a real place, you can find it on a map, a dry and arid wilderness valley that was devoid of water. And as they travel through the Baca Valley, they find themselves on this wilderness road. It turns out that the road to Jerusalem is a wilderness road. And so it makes sense that the buildup to Easter is a wilderness road. We have to pass through the Baca Valley first. Now, ultimately, the reason we go on this discipleship journey, and I'm using this pilgrimage metaphor as just that, as a metaphor for our own discipleship, our own spiritual formation into the image of Jesus, which is what the point of the Christian life is, that we might become more like Jesus. We go on that journey for the sake of our own freedom. It is ultimately for the sake of our wholeness that God invites us on this journey. God wants to free you in the depths of your hidden heart, and that's much of what we'll spend the next five weeks talking about. But all of my life, the way I assumed that worked was that if God wanted me free, then I would step out of slavery into freedom. But then I started reflecting on the journey of Jesus and the journey of the Israelites that really stands as the core metaphor of what 
being followers and pilgrims and, and sojourners on this journey is all about. And if we reflect on their story, it's not that simple to go from slavery into freedom. If you recall the Israelite journey, God stretches out a mighty arm. He delivers them out of Egypt, and it's like, goodbye Egypt, hello promised land, except that that's not the way the story goes. Instead, what comes up is Exodus chapter 13. It's going to come on the screen here, that after they leave Egypt, Pharaoh lets the people go, but God does not lead them by the shortest route. He does not lead them through the land of the Philistines, which was the shortest route. For God thought if the people encounter war, they'll change their minds and go back to their place of slavery. And so God led the people on the wilderness road. God led his people on the wilderness road. The wilderness comes first. There is freedom, but the wilderness always comes first, just like wrestling comes before Jacob's new name, just like the whale comes before Jonah's new wisdom, just like the far country comes before homecoming, just like there is before restoration, a fall, before resurrection, a crucifixion. God's aim in our lives is not just to get us out of Egypt, but to get Egypt out of us. God's aim is not just to get us out of the wilderness, but to get the wilderness out of us, that the belovedness might become more central to our reality. And so he allows us then to stay on the wilderness road for a time because that's the way we actually grow in the places of trust. It is in the wilderness that our will collides with God's. And he says, here I am the Lord your God. Have no priorities other than me. It's in the wilderness that we see how deep our demand runs for an easy, comfortable life. How often our default prayer is, God, I want what I want when I want it. Faced with a journey that we would rather not take, we try endless ways of escaping it. We deny it, we rationalize it, we theologize it, we bargain, we return to our old patterns like slaves that are going back to their place of slavery. In the wilderness, we find ourselves alone, off the beaten path, and things aren't like how they were before. Our faith doesn't work like it did before, and it can feel very easy there to feel meaningless, to feel purposeless, to feel like it has become irredeemable. But in the wilderness, a mirror is getting held up in front of us. And we are seeing what is actually true about us. We can't hide from it anymore. Our self-absorption, our selfishness, our self-reliance, our self-hatred. We see how limited we truly are. And we realize for a while that, that like we're trying so hard to kick against it. It's like, what happened, God? In the wilderness, even when God does provide for us, it comes as a confusing reality. It's like the Israelites got the manna from heaven, and they literally were like, what is this? And often when we're wandering in the wilderness, even when God's providing, it comes more as confusion than reassurance. We're like, don't even know what to make of it. But God is with us. And the wilderness is not just the devil's place of temptation. It can also be God's place of teaching. It can be the place empathy is birthed in us so that we can walk with others in their own brokenness. And it can be the place that stretches out before us longer than we want it to, mirage after mirage, until finally we have to admit our own reality, 
our own pain and brokenness and we pull up a chair to all that stuff in our hidden heart that we can no longer ignore and it's there that God meets us. And that's why the wilderness road is for the sake of our freedom, but it comes before we find the liberation we're hoping for. God keeps company with us in the pain until he transforms it, and transformed pain is no longer transmitted to others. And it starts to change us. We start to heal. We start to go into that freedom we thought would come easy. What this is is what it means when Paul says, we share with Christ in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that we may attain the resurrection. And we'll find that even though there's no rain water in the wilderness coming from the outside, there's been a living spring of water inside of us all along. We just never needed to rely on it before. And so the road to resurrection is always the wilderness road. And Lent leads us there. It leads us there. We're going to dive deeper into that theme over the coming weeks. But for now, what I want to ask you to do is try to sit with Jesus until you no longer despise the journey. So quickly we despise the journey when it does not go our way. But the wild place is not where discipleship has lost its way. In fact, it is the place where belovedness has a chance to take its deepest root. And God draws near to us in those places. So my question for today is simply this. Where will you meet Jesus this Lent? It's a question I asked at Ash Wednesday, asked it again in the Ash Wednesday gathering, going to ask it again today in hopes that all of us would actually answer that question. Where will you meet Jesus this Lent? And maybe that's a place of inner reality. Maybe that's a physical place that you're going to create space in your schedule. Where will you meet Jesus this Lent so that when Easter morning comes, it's the clanging of the pots and pans because he is risen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that even when it feels like we are lost and provision has suddenly stopped coming, you are in that too. And we go through the Baca Valley, this arid place, and find that it has become a place of pools, a place of living water, a place where we have moved from strength to strength until we appear before you in Jerusalem, where the journey finds its ultimate end. We pray in Jesus' name.